0: Hello, this is Kevin Joseph O'Connor. You're you're tuned into the Spirit of Play Conversations on Creativity podcast. Uh, this is a really special, sweet episode. It's with my friend Wendy Walker Silverman. She's a painter here in Nashville, represented by Tinny Contemporary. Um, we we talk about a lot of of exciting things. We talk about art as meditation and. Our thought processes in art making, um, and we also share our our love of, of music and what the environment of our creative spaces is like, um, and and also just the the benefit and struggle of of identity as an artist. This was recorded um, several weeks ago, uh, just when spring was beginning to to show up here in Tennessee, and so we were both just relieved by things blooming and, and, and things being green and life returning. Um, so it was, it was just fun to share the enthusiasm of, of renewed life here in, in Nashville. Um, so there's a lot to love in this episode as a preface of comical context. Um, when I arrived at Wendy's to record since this was this was recorded at her studio at her home um right when I was walking up before I even went into the studio with her, I flung my glasses by accident and they landed in her driveway and snapped in two across the bridge so i had I had glasses in two pieces um and Wendy was kind enough to give me some tape to patch back together my glasses, um, they looked ridiculous. And so I comment on my glasses a couple times in in the episode. So shout out to Warby Parker. Thanks for taking care of me and my glasses. And thanks, Wendy, for the tape. I really appreciate you listening and tuning in. Uh, this is such a, a fun and challenging and stretching experience putting this podcast together. Um, it is always a weird thing to put yourself out there. And this is just another way where I get to find ways to grow. Um, so thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about Wendy and her wonderful, wonderful painting, you can find her on Instagram at Silverman underscore art. And her website is wendywalkersilverman.com. Um, and also, check out her husband, Jack Silverman's music. It is beautifully textured and there's something hypnotic and delightful about it. It's jazz inspired. Um, he just released an EP called now what, uh, I love the track cerulean. So check out her husband, Jack's music as well. And as always, you can find me online on Instagram at Kevin underscore Joseph and my website is Kevin, joseph.art feel free to shoot me a message if you have thoughts and questions or suggestions for the podcast thanks for listening enjoy see the tape on my glasses <laughs> it's like in my my peripheral right in between my eyes oh, so no. It, no 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 it's 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 fine it's just gonna be like I feel like a cartoon character a little <laughs> bit um first of all thanks for having me over this is a treat um it always feels like a really sacred space getting to see someone else's like creative womb in their environment where things like really do happen Thank um <laughs> I always feel like honored and self conscious whenever someone like asks to come see the space I work in. Mm-hmm. So thank you. I, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you.
0: Um,
1: I'm excited to have you
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um we met like four years ago on Instagram. I think Four? I, I, I think so.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: At least okay. three years ago. Yeah. At least three years ago. Yeah. Um I'm sure it's It's funny, as much as I have stress about social media and Instagram, it's cool when real relationships that are valuable come out of it, and you see like oh, this is why I'm still doing this this is like this is the real value of doing it it's it's you can move outside of just the anxiety of feeling the need to share things online but um i wanna I wanna hear. I know that you've shared a little bit in pieces but I want to hear you share as much of your journey and as much of your story as you want to share and um, I know that we have things that we both want to talk about like we both love movies and music and art and we have things that we want to like rabbit trails that we want to dive (laughs) down but I want to just give you the the floor and room to share whatever it is that you would like to share about your, your journey.
1: Well, thank you. Um, you know, I haven't really talked to anyone in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not exactly true, but, um, yeah, it's, it's good to see you. Yeah. you And, um, thanks for having me on your podcast. I know it's a labor of love and, Um, I've really enjoyed the first episodes that you've done. So I feel honored that you're here. Thanks. A little bit about me, I guess. um, I started, well, I've always drawn, I've always painted. And since I was really, really young. And um, when I was in the second grade, my teacher suggested that my mother get me into something <laughs> on the side, because I was a little bored. And so um, my mom got me in art classes. And um, I had a great teacher, I think, back now about um, the woman who taught me art from second grade through ninth grade. And uh, you know, she the book, "Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain" had just come out and so she taught from that book and those were some of the the basics that I learned from so you know I was lucky to have parents who were pretty supportive of me majoring in painting (laughs) and um and so I did that you know as a little kid I, I would get friends asking me to draw stuff as gifts for friends and and that kind of thing so I always identified as the artist you know I always did the posters for school and that kind of thing, so um, I was really lucky to get to pursue art, you know, and I got a BFA in um, studio art from Louisiana Tech, which is in Ruston, Louisiana, and it's a really sleepy, pretty little college town, hmm. and they have a really great art department there, and um, yeah, so then I studied art, and then I didn't paint for several years. <laughs> And I did other things and um, have just recently circled back around to painting and have just been painting full-time for the past three years. You know, I kind of eased out of corporate life, which I did for a few years, and um, kind of eased into painting. I still did a little bit of uh, marketing freelance work for a couple of years. But I guess about three years ago, it, it, I really delved into painting full time. And, you know, I treat it like a job. Um, I come in here every day and or most days and paint for several hours a day. And it doesn't feel like work. I love it. Um, Hmm. I get tired before I'm, my mind's ready to stop. I'm, my body is ready to, to stop, (laughs) which feels great.
0: Yeah. I relate to that. I, was um i was heading to bed the other night and uh Lacey asked if i was like she she asked why i looked really fatigued Mm. and i was like well it feels like i've just been talking for hours it feels like i've just spent a lot of time talking and i'm talked out Mm -hmm. so yeah i think getting tired physically is a real thing after you're spending so much time trying to communicate so much. Um, So circling back to when you, like, your your childhood art experiences, you said the same teacher, second grade to ninth grade? Yeah. That's pretty remarkable.
1: (laughs) So um, I I grew up in Louisiana, and they just, around that time, they started the Gifted, Talented program where... Um, kids got to go to the bigger school in the bigger town, ta- you know, the town. I didn't even grow up in a town. I grew up in the woods in a, a really small community. And, um, you know, I think back about how that was offered and just what a life changer it was, not only for me, but for people I knew who went through that program. They didn't just have fine art. They also, you know, had focuses on music. Mm-hmm. They had academics, Um, so it was, I'm so grateful to have experienced that. And Charlotte Bailey was my teacher that whole time and she's lovely and, um, has invited me back to my hometown to teach art camps. And have you um, done that? I've done that. And it's it's wonderful. It's really great. In fact, I had one of the kids was the son of another girl who went through the program with me. And that was That's really really special. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was special.
0: Have you asked your mom why, in second grade, she chose art as the thing to occupy your mind and time?
1: I think it's because I'd always drawn, um, and I always wanted to draw. I always wanted to paint. Um, I drew the same things over and over. I drew a house with an arched door and I drew wishing wells, a well, (laughs) which I didn't have any of those things that I knew of. And then kind of recently I asked my parents if there was a well on the property of the old house that I, I, you know, was probably, I was three to seven when we lived there and there was one back behind the house, but it didn't look like, you know, the wishing well that I was drawing, but... Um I had started reading, or just kind of I haven't really read it, but I was looking through this wonderful gift that I was given. It is um elizabeth kubler Ross's book on um childhood drawing hmm. and how children ha- have this capability to draw things that um almost like a psychic connection. Children who've passed away or drawing things that are related to their yeah. death, not to get dark. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Which I always kind of do, but <laughs> um but anyway, it just got me thinking about like as human beings, you know, signs and symbols that we have seen from the caves in Lescaux to you know the abstract expressionists. what is it that yeah. makes these iconic images and shapes resonate from generation to generation
0: well water is a motif in yeah. some form in in your work yeah. too you have the divining rod yes in multiple paintings right yeah um I don't know if I want to ask about that or not. Well,
1: that's that's really what got me thinking about a well. And I, I just started thinking about the symbolism of, you know, when I was very young, I was drawing these images over and over of a well. And yeah. then I realized, and it took me a while to make the connection, that I was now as an adult, this work that I've really been focusing on, um there's this shape of the divining rod that's recurring in the work, which is a tool used for seeking water.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you can go
1: into a lot of layers of symbolism of what water is. And I love that. I I just, I really love thinking about that. Um, Not from the, you know, just as um, hindsight as I consider the work, you know,
0: Yeah. Hindsight is a really big factor in like, what is it that the subconscious is trying to remind you of, or what are you trying to be aware of and communicate? Um, There are definitely times where I have to paint, 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 and then look back and be like, I don't know, like, what was it that I'm trying to say here? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's okay if the things get dark. It's interesting that in those like whether it's the palette or the subject matter but you still have like this especially with a with the divining rod paintings that that you did the like talking about the image of life in them still Mm -hmm. like there's still like that searching for the life that you have your work is lovely I I love your work I'm like admittedly a fanboy of uh, so much of 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 your work and it's it's a delight to sit here in the studio and get to see more of it in, in person.
1: Oh thank you. Um,
0: I went multiple times when you had the solo show at the Tenney, like
1: oh, uh, oh my to, gosh. To,
0: to walk by and 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 to see them all. Um <laughs> it was uh yeah it, it's special getting to see a body of work together. Like that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um yeah. Is there anything that you're that you're working on right now that you're trying to like, are you, are you still working through that hindsight? Are you, or is there anything that you're like collecting right now or being aware of now in the past couple months of painting?
1: Yeah. So the work that was at Tinney, the most of the work that was at the front, I'm still working in that palette, which is a palette that is a little bit of a reach for me. Um, okay. in a way, I say that, but then I look at the work compared to my older work, and I guess it's really not. (laughs) Um, But the way I'm approaching the work that I've been doing since last fall is really, um, let me think of a, a good way to describe this. So you know how when you have an actor... And just the tiniest movement of an eyebrow or, you know, just a millimeter of shift in your expression conveys an emotion or a thought or an idea. That's the way I see all of the lines and the spatial relationships in my work. And so I'm really enjoying exploring the, um, the more hard edged work and just the tiny shifts in the the relationship of the shapes as they meet and converge and sometimes they overlap sometimes they barely miss that really for me stands in as you know relationships mm-hmm. with ourselves with the people we know people we don't know people we encounter on social media you yeah. know for yeah. the whole range i feel like that can be expressed with align and how shapes meet or um, interrelate, and so you know, I s- I began to see that that group of work from my solo exhibition, Aspic and Ambrosia. As I worked on that that body of work, I I started to imagine that the pieces were people at a dinner party and you each know painting as a different painting, yeah you're, you know they're having a conversation with one another and mm. you know and with body language or facial expressions you you know you can see intentions on display it's like being an observer of the conversations mm. but also being in a conversation and um and i also had this idea of you know, you'll notice the work that's lined up here. It's all basically the same palette, but the sh- you know the shapes sort of shift from piece to piece, and that's something that I really enjoy exploring. If I if I start with a new palette, and I have to say that in my work, the palette is always the starting point. Yeah, you know the colors to me certain combinations. I just have this need to make them super hard-edged, and then just a slight variation on that palette, and I want to see it very expressive and loose and free, and so that's kind of how I, I begin when I start working with a new palette, and then I kind of hone down and focus on an idea or the pieces that I think work together so all these new pieces are small to mid-size but these are all basically studies for large work that I have coming down the pike and I really enjoy working on a large scale and the larger my work gets the larger I want it to keep getting
0: yeah I feel that
1: yeah it's so freeing right yeah And it's just too bad that your space dictates how large your (laughs) work can be. Um, And, you know, just going back to being tired at the end of the day painting, that's something that I never really considered. Like, the larger you're working, the more exhausted you are at the end of the day.
0: There's a lot of communication happening. Yeah. I like the idea of the relationships. I think about... The concept of conversation a lot Mm -hmm. whether it is my conversation with the piece or the piece's conversation with me or the piece's conversation as it relates to the body of work I like the dinner party that's like really really accessible and I I feel like that is uh, there's something really playful about that and I want other people to see it that way too like I want other people to, to think about not even not talking about my work, talking about like a body of work together, like the, the, the work that you have here on the wall hanging. Um, there's definitely conversation and dialogue happening as they like the things that you notice are going to bounce back and you're going to, to think about the lack of, or the additional structure in between them. Mm-hmm. Um, the bummer about radio is that you can't take in the visual.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, looking behind me at the older work, I, I feel like um, as I started to paint more and my practice turned into a daily practice, I, you know, um, I kept getting comments. From people that made me feel a little self conscious, and there are two of them. Hmm. One is, Wow, you are prolific, you paint a lot of work, and as and opposed it, it to just being a discipline, feel, it, it always made me feel f- a little funny. Um, and I know that anytime someone said that, it wasn't, you know, it's totally my projection. But um, it just made me feel really self-conscious. Like, am I painting too fast? Am I painting too much? And then the other one was your work has changed so much. And I also feel a lot of self-consciousness attached to that. But, you know, the truth of the matter is if you, you know, I show up and I do the work and I, I come in here and don't really have a preconceived idea a lot of days of what is going to happen, which is, I love that. I just come in here. I usually have, you know, four or five pieces going and I, I move around and I work on several pieces at once. And, you know, that serves a couple of purposes, Um, It keeps me from copping out when a piece is dry Mm. and going in after two hours and calling it a day in here. Um, I have something else that I can just keep working on. And also as I work on other pieces, I'm able to resolve something that I might be stuck on, on Mm. another piece. And it, it sort of gets worked out further down the line in another piece. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, that's the color or that's what I need to do on the piece I just left. Yes. And then also, you know, working on these really hard-edged pieces, just as I, I don't think my nervous system could take only working like that all day. So, you know, I'll, I'll work on a hard-edged piece, but then I'll, I'll work on something that's really loose and expressive in the same session. And I, I just hmm. really love painting that way
0: yeah it's not exclusive it's not a matter of one or the other it's like these are both things inside of us this is how is it how does it need to be communicated
1: yeah yeah and I feel like in this society that we have there's such a a strong focus on branding and you know just repetition and I mean I I think if if that's how if that's a great way for you to paint and to do the same thing over and over, then, uh, you know, great. Enjoy it. But that's just not how I work out problems in the studio. You know,
0: I think it kind of avoids also like, what's the, what's the end, what's the purpose and what's the, what's the duty as an artist here? Like, is it like in, is the end to maintain perfect branding or is the end like your job is to be you and the canvas working. Mm -hmm. And I I think about this a lot. Like I get distracted. I'll, I'll spend my energy focusing on like, am I doing good photographs? Am I doing like, I don't know, whatever it is. And, and the job that I need to get back to is my dialogue with the canvas.
2: Yeah.
0: And if I'm worried about branding, I'm not going to do anything that's worth the development of my inner person. Like there's so much inner dialogue that doesn't need to have any other external motivator, Mm -hmm. right? Like what's the motivator? The motivator is like you said, the unknown conversation with you in the canvas, the, the, uh, the anticipated unknown that you don't know what's going to happen. And that's, you're, you're digesting through working through multiple pieces at the same time yeah. but um that that digestion is the point
1: well and do you find yourself i mean is your when you work in the studio is it meditative for you or is your mind active or do you kind of let go and go totally into right brain mode where you're just no sense of time
0: Um, I, I hope it's meditative. I think about it and I want it to be meditative. It's definitely cathartic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely a, a form of, of therapy, but I, I think about it also as this is the time where I, I don't have to worry about the, the verbal, I, yeah. I can, I can communicate in other ways that my, my vocabulary doesn't know how to communicate. yeah What are the things that my, my body and spirit know that I don't know as mm-hmm. a cognizant person? I think that we deal with a lot of rational things on our day to day. How do I drive here? How do I fix my broken glasses? But, <laughs> uh, I think that there's a lot of a it's a it's a tool it's a language it's a it's a it's a method but um I think the purpose is the practice mm-hmm. I don't think that that I may have techniques that I use repeatedly but the point isn't for me to go in there and use a technique I don't yeah. think about that um time does slip slip away um and I know that we both love music I listen to music a lot when I paint mm-hmm. but I'm also trying to find things that are not distracting that just let me kind of get into a flow. Mhm. And I think that's what we're all trying to trying to figure out ways to trick ourselves into getting, right? Like how do you yeah. not how do you not distract yourself to the point where you can get to that flow state?
1: Mhm.
0: What about you? What is it like?
1: Yeah, I um well, I love to listen to music while I work but then sometimes I work in complete silence too. Um, and usually I'm doing both over the course of the day. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I love about painting for me. It's very, my mind just wanders and, um, you know, I find myself having a lot of thoughts back to childhood and instances that happened and, also, just I feel like there are so many parallels in the studio to life, just about life lessons.
0: Yeah, I think about things I would never think about otherwise, right? By accident,
1: I think that's what I'm but almost every time the meditative mm-hmm. aspect of it. It's just like you, it, it sends you to this place. Um, at least that's that's what that's the place I like to be in in here is, um. Just this core presence. I don't know. Um, Yeah.
0: No, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, keep going if you want to.
1: Well, and, um, you know, before I lose this thought too, just back to the the thing about the work shifting so much, it's um, a handful of new brushes will send your work down a completely different path than what you'd been on and so when I first started painting again I was always trying out new brushes and my work would just shift and it was so crazy to see the change in you know five pieces that I did when I got these new brushes and then compared to you know what came next using a gnarly old brush I got out of the Garage, you All know. of
0: mine are gnarly. Yeah, gnarly all, ones
1: are the best.
0: I don't love them, and I love them deeply yeah. at the same time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things that I've I've seen, one of my favorite writers was uh, is Harry Cruz. And in the 80s, he used to do a lot of talk shows. Um, he was a real character. He um, kind of hung out with carnies and motorcycle gangs and um he is the the writer that grit lit you know that term came about because of his work and he was on some late night talk show like letterman one time and he was talking about art and um and he talked about how an artist like a true artist has a uh, just this paintbrush that has this one crazy bristle that goes off to the side and you know he's painting with it and it makes this mark that the artist didn't mean to make but then the artist says oh that that's perfect I'm gonna keep it and it's just like those surprises I love that part of working in the studio and I get asked a lot you know about Just advice for people who are wanting to paint and starting to paint and I guess I have three right off the top of my head three things that I would say and the first thing is just get to know your tools because knowing what line quality you get with certain brushes knowing what, what marks they're going to make that gives you control over your work to a degree. And then I find that a little bit of structure, I like having a loose set of guidelines and then working with total freedom within, you know, within those parameters. And I feel like really knowing your tools and, um, that that's a big part of making the kind of paintings that you want to make. Because I think, I think a lot of people get frustrated that they can see something in their mind and then they can't quite make it happen. Mm. And I think a lot of times that's just because you don't know your tools or you don't have the tool that you need to make that kind of mark. Mm. Oh, but I said there were three pieces of advice. I know I? I was waiting for the last one. <laughs> Well, the other one is to get Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain.
0: It's a great book. I remember reading it as a kid. It is.
1: I I just think corporations should make all their people read that book, (laughs) whether it's, you know, no matter what kind of business you're in, I just think it's such a brilliant book. And, um, And really, honestly, truly, if you read that book, you never need to take an art lesson from anyone. Just get the book know your tools and then show up every day to mm-hmm. do your work and you just show up with no pressure on yourself and just see what happens in the studio
0: I don't I don't know if you think about this or think like this but there's um there's really nowhere else that I have interactions where things feel like not only are there no bad decisions, but there is an amount of gentleness that you can show yourself. Mm -hmm. And part of the showing up regularly is showing up just to be with yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, I like that you, you mentioned how the process of painting makes you think about your childhood, makes Mm -hmm. you think about things uh, that maybe, maybe, an awareness and a clarity, and also just the allowance to allow your brain to go different places. Yeah, you know, allowing yourself the space and occupying. For for me, it, it's such a it's such a capacity of allowing your body to invest in in something while your mind can go elsewhere mm-hmm. so um, I I appreciate how much you have really structured hard line defined paintings and very very loose uh, just thanks. layers and layers and layers of, of loose expression because um, I think that they both have to be there and it's almost like a a ping pong between mm-hmm. and a reaction to like i i th- I think about the paintings that I've made where they have both of those elements in them, and there's kind of a call and response yeah went and i don't i don't I don't know it it almost seems like you're allowing yourself to. Think through things that you wouldn't give yourself space to otherwise through that Like there's no there's no bad marks. You're Mm -hmm. just working Yeah,
1: definitely Hmm.
0: What have you been listening to lately?
1: Oh gosh lately Um, I love the new Spencer Cullum album I don't know Spencer, Spencer Cullum's column. coin collection. It's really great. I'm about to listen yeah, to I think, that. I think you would really like that. Um,
0: I was listening to the Walkman over here. Oh, you were? Uh, in honor you know of this them. conversation. Oh, good. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: still, I still love the Walkman. i um, been listening to actually my husband's new record. Yes. just came out last week, and um, I really do love it. And he worked with Roger Mutineau, who um is just so lovely and wonderful and Before I ever imagined I would be friends with Roger, um I was listening to records he had produced, and they're still some of my favorites, like um I always listen to Yola Tango and Lamb Chop. Yes. I listen yes. to them a lot. I love Timber, Timber. I, I probably, I went through a spell where I listened to Timber, Timber so much, it, it kind of, Jack would walk into the room and say, okay, let me guess. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Um, and, you know, I love to listen to jazz when I work. I think a lot of my paintings sort of definitely convey that sort of thing. They're mid-century. a match made in heaven, aren't they? <laughs> I just like painting and jazz. Yes. 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 Like absolutely. Like they were made for each other. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you know, I love classical stuff too, like Satie and um, Vivaldi. I mean, it just kind of depends on my mood. I love broadcast. Listen to that a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I I love music. I I also go through the the spaces of silence Mm. in the studio, but when I want to listen to music, I have found that I hate trying to pick music when I'm in the middle of painting, trying to switch gears, trying to trying to like all right, let me cue something else up. Yeah, I hate doing it. So I have all these like short like couple hour playlists that I have I've made where it's I I spend the time before the studio just queuing a whole bunch of random stuff up that I want to listen to because I, I don't want to have to think about it. Yeah. I want to just trust that like I've put on what I want to listen to ahead (laughs) of time. Um, I don't listen to, to Bill Evans jazz as much as I I did last Mm. year, but I've been thinking a whole lot about his, his record because of the season. Um, I think it's called You Must Believe in Spring. Oh. And it's beautiful. It's lovely. And all of his other collaborative work is is so great to paint, too. But um, springtime, what a great I'll time. Have
1: to, I'll have to put that one down. Yeah, spring, especially in Tennessee, it just always kind of stops me in my tracks. The colors, yeah. you know, whatever I'm working on kind of stops. And
0: that's um, this year. but It
1: hasn't <laughs> been. it Now, for the past two years, normally the Japanese magnolias, I just get obsessed and I yes. just want to paint them. I could be doing black, black, black paintings. And then, you know, the first Japanese magnolias there bloom. It and uh, it's all pink <laughs> and petals <laughs> and but I think because I haven't been out and about much seeing them the past couple of springs, I haven't gone down that path yet for a couple of years.
0: You mentioned that you wanted to talk about Agnes Martin.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: So I made a note of some things that we wanted to talk about. <laughs> we don't have to go through any of them, but I uh, I wanted to make sure and bring that up because you, you mentioned, like, can we please talk about Agnes well, Martin? Well,
1: I I just... um. I always think about Agnes Martin. I don't know if you've read any of her gosh she just she's she just has so much to say that's so brilliant and I went I don't the wrong know way you... around
0: it. I read about her. I don't <sighs> I didn't read her work.
1: Oh, oh, oh. I made I'll a mistake. You, I'll send you some information about her but Please. you know, just a little a little backstory. I think she um she had a really rough childhood. Yeah. And I think she was bipolar. And, um, just, I, I probably think about her writings every day when I come in here. So one of the things, one of the things that she, um, talked about was, uh, the kind of people you allow in your studio. Hmm. And, um, it's, it's such a truism about, you know, don't just invite anyone into your studio. Um, you know, her point is that you really just want to have friends of art in your studio space, looking at your work while it's in process. And then she goes on to define, you know, it's a very specific thing, who are friends of art, you know, and it's people who give, constr- you know, constructive feedback, and it's people who really love art. And it's not just, It's not just anyone that you let in. And that really kind of stuck with me. Um, But also she talks about living above the line. And, And I don't think many people have the luxury to paint like Agnes Martin. So what she would do is every day she would wake up and sit in bed and not get out of bed until she just felt completely happy and knew exactly what she was going to paint. (laughs) (laughs) So some days I wake up and I'm like, okay, (laughs) I can't pull in Agnes Martin and just sit here in bed until I I feel inspired to get up and paint and things are just right. I need to get up and go out there. But, um, I just, I love that. I probably wouldn't get anything done. But she also talked about, um, living above the line mm-hmm. and that really, that's what she was doing when she sat in bed. And, and she said that, you know, below the line is all darkness mm. and unhappiness and, um, just unease and above the line is happiness and being positive. And so I just, I love that. I, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a Pollyanna but just the idea of someone who you know makes that decision that mm. this is um this is the line and I don't go below it and that's what she said. She said I don't go below that line for anything. And I just think that's such a beautiful mm. way to live and and so looking at her her work um I just last winter right before the pandemic, I was in New York, and um, I saw an exhibition of minimalist paintings, and there were a couple of her pieces, and, you know, just when you stand in front of her work, and you, you know that that's what her state of mind was, and what her mindset was, to stand in front of those really simple, beautiful pieces it just you feel that when you stand in front of them
0: there's a there's a vibrating quality to them yeah yeah what a treat that you got to do that oh that's fantastic that sounds like a really good show
1: yeah it was great
0: do you remember who else was in that in that exhibit
1: oh gosh um there was a jules olitski frank stella um, there were some artists that I wasn't familiar with, but who really stood out. Mm. There was a guy who um, just wrote numbers. He painted numbers every day of his life, and it, they, they went in consecutive, you know, they went in order, and so they just filled up this canvas. I can't That's a think whole of other conversation. Name, right. Yeah. It, I mean you just stood there when you realized what it was he was doing. Um yeah, I actually sent that link to a friend not that long ago from that exhibition. It was at MoMA, so I'll send it to you. Yeah. So I you love can that. yeah, see some of the artists. Um, I was
0: looking at some of the pieces on MOMA's website of Agnes Martin's mm-hmm. work this week. Um and what you said about above the line strikes true on on every part um there was a there was a short quote from her about beauty and happiness and life are the artists only concern they are perfect and sublime and this is the subject matter of art yeah i don't think a lot of people would agree with that but i like that that was her that was her worldview entering the creative process.
1: Well, and you know, the idea of the tortured artist is a bit of a cliche and I just love that someone who really personally was a tortured individual. She
0: had a really rough childhood. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, And, um, you know, she sort of turns that upside down. Um, hmm. yeah, I
2: just,
1: i there's just something about her words really that resonate resonate as much with me as her work
0: that's really cool I think with her work especially considering how stark and sparse mm-hmm. it is it's really I think it with, with some artists you can kind of get the idea with the visual mm-hmm. but it's important to understand where she's coming from when she was thinking through and creating those things Um, especially like her concept of perfection, but she is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And so the work itself will be imperfect, but it's that concept of this like perfection existing in nature. Yeah. If I sat in bed and waited until (laughs) I knew it and then went and did it, I wouldn't do anything. I, I don't know. Like, especially with, trying to enter the studio with nothing but the need nothing but the concept of I just need to go paint Mm -hmm. and then I will find out why and what yeah I don't know you know on her
1: (laughs) (laughs) one day one day I had this this thought about like the muse and I thought about oh you know we wait, and some days the muse comes, and some days she doesn't. And then one day I just thought, well, wait a minute. What if I'm the muse for this force that's out there, and I'm the, the tool, I'm a tool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the tool for this force, whatever it is. And thinking about making art in those terms, like I'm just the you know the thing that makes the art yeah and I have to show up to to my job to do it and that really sort of um that gets me going a lot of days just to show up Hmm. you know that was a big thing with Flannery O'Connor just getting up and writing every day like it's a practice
0: yeah we both love Flannery that's right
1: she just had a birthday
0: Happy birthday, Flan. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I'm in the way a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like it's funny when people ask what medium you use. And it's like, well, I am. Mm-hmm. I am the medium. And we are having a conversation. And I have found the ability to communicate right now in my life through these paints mm-hmm. and these brushes. But I'm both in the way and it, I am the the one trying to like all that i'm going to put on canvas is thought processes mm-hmm. i'm not trying to depict something i know some people are that's fine but like all that you're going to get out of this experience is me in real time human being thought processes that are happening um decision making on on canvas is difficult sometimes mm-hmm. i feel like there's a lot of roadblocks but, again, it's just a matter of how do I get out of my own way.
1: Well, you know, talking about the parallels to, to life when you're making art, you know, that's kind of one of them is the layers. Mm. As you make different decisions and you change the painting, the past decisions and the past actions are still, they still exist. And I love that parallel.
0: Yeah, you know I can't undo. I'm not trying to hit Control Z and mm-hmm. get rid of that. I I love I love that about um, thinking about the bad brushes I use mm-hmm. that make. I may be trying to make an intentional mark, but it's going to have unintentional marks along with it, with those bristles that I've bristles that I've messed up. Right? Yeah. Um, I have a small selection of brushes that are my favorite brushes that I use that are just, they're messed up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're dead. I should throw them away, but they make marks unlike any other brushes. Right. Um, knowing when to use those, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's, I think that's really important. Hmm it's hard to use words to talk about things that are like the whole point of what we're doing here is to not use words. (laughs) Like we're we're trying to, to do things on canvas that can speak on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, You know,
1: I I have to say I, you know, I was, um, I actually was a decorative painter for 10 years when I first moved to the area. And, um, You know, I spent a lot of days in a stranger's house not speaking. And I really felt like I began to lose my ability to speak. Really? And I would, you know, I had a different life then, and um, I wasn't completely happy personally either. And it was just like that work is so exhausting. And then you come home and you just, don't even want to talk. And if you wanted to, you might not be able to because you've been thinking in pictures all day. Mm. And so I knew that I just had to shake my life up and do something different. And so I got a corporate job. And that job, if you had told me that I would ever, A, have a corporate job, and B, have a a job that was completely this left-brained, like analyzing medical bills to the penny it was insurance segregation for hospitals and I took a year off from painting I didn't paint at all and then almost exactly a year later I just decided I had to paint again and I started treating it that's really when I started treating it as a true practice and yeah. I would pick up something from the yard or, you know, my son was younger and he would bring me a huge thorn or, um, a beautiful rock or a feather. And I would just paint those things. I was just painting on the weekends. You know, I, I was tired after working all day and didn't want to paint at night. And I just started painting on the weekends again. Mm. And that was the, up until that point, that was the most fun and I feel like the best painting I did because I, I realized right then that I wasn't putting pressure on myself for what the outcome of the painting was. I was just showing up for the process and really enjoying the process. And then I realized that the paintings were pretty good, you know, without that pressure. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and even then, I, you know... I still, I would go through spells where I didn't paint as much. But I always felt like an artist, even for the year that I didn't paint. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such an important thing to share with anyone who has a day job, but they really dream about painting or they don't have enough time to paint as much as they want or feel like, you know, a, a nine to five job or or a job that pays the bills kind of cuts down on your momentum as an artist I feel like just being able to go through life and look at the world as an artist and you know to see a tree and think oh gosh there are five different shades of green on that tree how would I mix that and just to to go through your day-to-day like that seeing as an artist that really helped to tide me over during those years that I'd didn't have a steady studio practice because I just didn't have the bandwidth to do it.
0: Yeah, definitely didn't mean that you weren't an artist. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a, it's also a matter of like there's output, but output is distracting Mm -hmm. when the real life giving thing is both the process and how you're taking in the world. And that time you didn't have the bandwidth, all of the process as much as you do now mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you weren't taking in the world and just eating it up
1: yeah I feel like I was studying
0: <laughs> I get it yeah sure
1: yeah um you know it's kind of interesting I've talked to my husband we we've had different experiences because you know he um had a full-time you know a a day job too and um and he really struggled with that like feeling like he wasn't an artist when he wasn't able to play every day for a couple of hours or yeah you know and I guess it is a little different too with musicians and the performance aspect of it but um I always hate hearing that someone's so creative and then because they're not doing their practice or, or they just can't do their practice that they feel that slipping away
0: or like the identity question yeah like, jack's one of the most creative people i know Mm-hmm. but it's bizarre of to think about him questioning am i am i really this or that am i really a musician or an artist or whatever it is the performance thing is is separate, and mm-hmm. and for me and you, I think it's completely secondary. But um, it's bizarre to think about someone who is so creative being in the same the same boat of questioning because it's such a like creativity is such an innate thing mm-hmm. than to have it be a question of identity. Mm -hmm. that that's a whole other issue completely like you have to see your like i once you once you have crossed the bridge into seeing yourself as i'm innately a creative being and then to have the the day-to-day question that making you question am i really this or that Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, that feels really detrimental
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: kind of goes back to the purpose of of the the practice having significance and importance, and um, even if you even if you you aren't every day out for four or five hours painting, like the the practice of allowing yourself permission, like that's that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to be doing that, and I think. There's there's seasons of of time, and I admittedly am am not painting every day for hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. and, um, I think making peace with that and saying, this is the time I have. You know, hmm. interesting. This is fun. I'm really enjoying. It's
1: this. good to talk.
0: It is good to talk. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's, it's fun to, to sit down with someone who, you know, has, has thought through these things and, and seen these things further and farther along. And like the, the questions that you have and the, and the, the relationship that you have with the artistic process and how it is both a love language and a struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, we're, we're, we're both like in the trenches, we're both like deep in it. And Um, also not to call you out, but it's nice to know that I'm not the only one with controlled chaos for their, for their, (laughs) their, their paint situation.
1: Hey, I I cleaned up in here.
0: (laughs) I said controlled. I I said controlled. No. I'll cut that out. That'll that'll not be included. uh, No, no,
1: no. I'm totally teasing. No. Some days it gets really messy. It's just like my output, you know? Yeah. It's, It's, it waxes and it wanes and you know, some, some weeks I feel like I'm spinning my wheels in here and then all of a sudden it all comes together in a day.
0: Which wouldn't have happened if you weren't making the, like the, the discipline of spinning your wheels mm-hmm. and saying, that's enough. Yeah. That's enough.
1: Yeah. You know, I have to say that like just sitting here, that, that green that's in that painting right there, that is a green that I mixed up and used in a lot of the pieces that, um, were in aspic and ambrosia. Yeah. And that is a green, like, I don't love working in blue. I don't, I, I have this love hate relationship with certain blues and that green. And, I just have this compulsive need to add those colors to the work that I've been doing the past several months. And, um, I've been watching a lot of film. I film inspires me as much as studying the master painters and, um, I've been seeing that green in all of these wonderful films from the 60s. Uh, There's a film from 1966 called Daisies that is so modern. It's part of the Czech New Wave film movement. And um, that green is so pervasive in that movie. And I've started, my phone is full of screenshots of... um, Criterion collection films that have this particular green in it, and God it just bless sort of, the Criterion collection. Yeah, it just sort of reinforces my um, love. I, I'm ambivalent, but I lo- I just I do have a strong love for it. it it's a weird thing. But it makes and you respond. And don't call it mint, or I'll never be able to use it again. It Wasn't even crossing <laughs> my mind. <laughs> it's jade. I ca- in my mind, it's jade green. And you know when we were talking about music. I was listening to a lot of Cal Jader. Okay. Do you know?
0: His? No, I don't know I Cal I think Jader. you would
1: really, really love him. But my favorite album of his is called Several Shades of Jade. Okay. And, um, you know, he's a... Um, what's the... I don't know if xylophone's the right word. But it's... I mean, it's just this beautiful mid-century jazz music. And... um I I love that. Keep thinking. I kept thinking about Jade, and you know, part of what I thought about for the show at Tinney that you saw was, you know, the idea of Aspic and Ambrosia. That really is sort of a nostalgic idea of mid-century recipes and a time when, you know, that a lot of people are still clinging to of this idealization of what the American family looks like and in my mind that that shade of jade and then this coral color just really evoke that period for me and so that's that's a lot of the the decision making behind the the colors that I used for that that exhibition
0: well what's interesting about the jade is that like there's nothing passive about it Mm hmm you have to respond to it in some way. Like that painting doesn't look like anything else on this wall right here. But you have to deal with it somehow. <laughs> like it's like it's really peppy, but like you have to confront it and be like, How do I respond to you?
1: It's very close to a color my mother hates call and she says she says it with such disdain. I don't know if I can say it in the same <laughs> inflection that she does. Institutional green. (laughs) And it was a color, you know, it's not that, it's not exactly, but it, I can see how it would evoke her thoughts of this color that was in all of the banks and all of the hospitals and all of the schools when she was a little girl. Huh. And some of that lingered around when I was a little girl in my hometown, so. Man. I do have a reference point for it.
0: One of... This is not the Criterion collection mm-hmm. but that makes me think about the scene in that Tom Hanks movie That Thing You Do.
1: I never saw that.
0: Oh, you got to. It's one of my favorites. Um but this this guy is at an appliance store selling, you know, dishwashers and whatever and it's in the it's in the early 60s and he's trying to like come up with cool words for the the colors of all the different appliances and he's like you know you have sage avocado (laughs) and like that's the word he chose for the the green it's like we have our avocado here institutional green
1: and harvest gold
0: harvest gold yes yes
1: (laughs) those are your appliance options Um, yeah I love how color though it, it is a language and it has this Magical ability to evoke emotion almost like smell
0: yeah, I think about that a lot, mm. and I think I talked about that with somebody else I had a podcast episode with where memory and emotion and smell, but also really, really specific shades of of a color mm-hmm. like you mentioned coral. I get a response out of coral unlike other colors I don't know what it is about coral I love it but there's a strong there's a strong response to coral, it's beautiful um
1: does it make you hungry?
0: does it make me hungry? I don't think about hunger yeah why do you ask?
1: I don't know, it just seems like a, you know
0: do you crave something when you see coral?
1: But I just, I don't know why I asked that. It's, it is is a color that, you know, is in that can make you hungry range. That's funny. You know, citrusy. Okay. Fruit, persimmons, maybe. Okay. Icing, sprinkles. <laughs> I
0: don't know. <laughs> Sugar. <laughs> Marbles. <laughs> I didn't go there at all. I love that. But I'm, cur- I'm
1: just, I'm just guessing. Why? What does it? I don't know. So it does evoke positive yeah. feelings. Coral.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Vacation. Your first grade teacher's lipstick color. I'm just.
0: No, keep going. We got it. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's something. There's something really dreamy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is. If we keep guessing, we'll we'll hammer it down and figure it out tonight. But... I'm
1: really curious. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, the piece that's there on my little printouts um, to find a point. I used that, that I love was a that big. One. That was a big. Well, was it hanging when you I think saw the briefly, exhibition?
0: I think briefly. It sold, didn't it? It
1: did, and then the, um, they wanted to. They needed it before the show came down. So yeah, so wasn't I saw there it briefly. The
0: whole
1: time. Um, but that piece actually was in the Red Clay exhibition at the Huntsville Museum. Right.
0: Yeah. And
1: seeing it in that space, I think the walls were painted dark in that exhibition, and I, um, I, it was such a special treat because we went to see the exhibition and a docent was giving a guided tour when we were standing there and and, uh, and so I heard her talk about the painting and then of course my husband was like hey, she's the artist. Uh, <laughs> and was, and how so weird was that? The, um, the docents started talking about how that coral that they were all like all the docents were sort of mesmerized by it and it really in that lighting against the dark wall it just took on this quality that vibrated and it was but it's mellow, and it's like you can almost—I don't know. Did you say enveloped, enveloping? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt like you could just walk into it. I felt like that know?
0: before. Uh, I was—I was sad. I went a couple times to see the the Tenny exhibit, and I, it was—it was sad when it left. But it was really, I was really—I was glad that it went to its home. <laughs> but what's interesting? I guess a couple—a couple different things. First of all, was it weird seeing the painting? Your studio has white walls. I think of most galleries as having white walls, but it went to the Huntsville Museum Mm -hmm. and the wall it was on was dark. Was it weird seeing those colors in a context like you hadn't imagined before?
1: Yeah, actually, um, Divining Rod and Circling Crows was also in that exhibition and they were both on this dark, like a deep dark Brown, red, brown wall, and it's interesting because um, Susan Tinney, the the gallery, the gallery owner um, where I had the exhibition, told me that the designer had done like the room that that painting was going in had these deep, dark, reddish brown no way walls, huh? And you know, I don't think that that client saw it at the museum. Um, but I thought that that was kind of interesting. And I did another piece in that series after the show came down that, um, kind of incorporates this russet red color with that persimmon color. And I just, I'm just really into it. I can't, I can't explain, what it is but you know that's what gets us in our studios every day is that addiction to seeing how colors react with one another yeah and you know these hard-edged paintings they look simple but they're actually the hardest ones for me to do because you know how there are kids that can't have food touching on a plate I keep using this range of colors together but there are certain combinations i can't have them touching Hmm. like i have to um you know keep problem solving until the piece just for lack of a better word until it sings and and that means certain colors are adjacent yeah and certain colors can never touch yeah (laughs) or Uh, i will lose my mind yeah
0: i get it you said sings
1: Sings, yeah.
0: I think about harmony and melody mm. a lot in painting, and singing. Often, um, I don't sing, but I, I I do think about color interaction that that way as well, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I
1: think they're very parallel.
0: For sure, the overlap is fascinating. I took a lot of i i studied I studied creative writing in college mm-hmm. and I took a lot of poetry classes and I remember someone talking about the, uh, the difference in, in long poems and really really short poems and then really short poems with short lines and how the, uh, the words matter regardless but you really have to be counting the, the weight of every word And how your mileage has to be pretty far Mm. with few words. And I feel like highly structured, not simple in concept, but simple perhaps in composition. Mm -hmm. Your mileage is exacting. Yeah. And that's how some of these these paintings feel. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing simple about them. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I find that the hard-edged paintings too, there's something, I mean, of course the forms themselves are sculptural, but there's something more akin to sculpture than the painting to me hmm. um, because, you know, it's going back to that sort of parallel to expressions and just a millimeter of an eyebrow shift yeah. conveys, you know, I put a lot of intention into where the edges meet and the particular angles. And I'm, I'm always adjusting until the piece is finished to sort of convey, in my mind, emotions or, you know, a language or...
0: That's incredible.
1: ...a set of emotions.
0: That's incredible. And I love that you don't, just like life actions cannot be redacted the way that you haven't completely b- blocked out and eradicated the the decisions that you've made in your layers mm-hmm. you see this vibrating edge of decision there are shifts there's 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 subtle differences in the just the d- the degree of that angle and so many of your, your pieces, uh, that's, that's fascinating and, and so lovely.
1: Thank you for noticing. That. Yeah. <laughs> I never yeah. Know. I'm like, I've always Am wanted to, uh, no, no, no.
0: <laughs> that's been one of my favorite things about, about so many of these paintings. Um, and I've, I've wanted to ask about that before, but the, uh, the edges around some of the structures is, is beautiful um and it's interesting that you think about sculpture i think a lot of carving away when i'm working on a Mm -hmm. painting i don't i I think in three-dimensional form i think about trying to whittle away at whatever the structure is um sculpture is very very relevant to the painting process. Mm-hmm. They, they seem like cousins, very, very, yeah. very very similar. Um, yeah. It's really, it's so fun to work and think and have thoughts of, of the process and what does this mean and, and where is this going and to be in your studio and to spend years of your life pursuing this thing that you feel pulled toward and then to talk with others who are on on their own journey of doing this mm-hmm. this similar medium and the overlap of language and analogy and and concept it's it's just joyful to talk about that i just love hearing about the way that you are conceptualizing about your work and you're so intentional with your work and i, I appreciate and I look up to that so much but oh, thanks. Um, this has been delightful. Thank, thank, you, thank you so Wendy.
1: much, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I feel like I had pages and pages of things I wanted to talk about and we didn't even get to any of them. And so <laughs> we may need to do a part two at some point. This has I'm been wonderful. I'm always here. <laughs> yeah, this thank has you. been wonderful. Thank you. Um, is there anything upcoming that you're excited about or that you want to talk about? Or is there anything that you want to want to share about where people can can find you, of course, online. Oh, thanks. um, Yeah.
1: Um, Well, I'm represented by Tenny Contemporary. And um, so any inquiries about my work, you can see my work on their website. Um, But also you can follow me on Instagram. I'm I'm pretty good about posting a few times a week of the shenanigans that are going on in here. Um, And that's just uh, Wendy Walker Silverman under... Underscore, underscore art <laughs> yeah and my my um, website is just wendy dot silvermancom
0: great thank you
1: Thank you Kevin
0: thanks Wendy